Have you ever walked into a store and felt like, okay, if I had a store, this is exactly what it would look like? That is what happened to me when I walked into Catbird, this beautiful little shop in Williamsburg, New York. They are known around the world for these beautiful, delicate gold stacking rings that they make. Their collection of jewelry is really simple and delicate, and it's the kind of jewelry that you put on and you never take off. You can go swimming in it, you can wear it to a wedding, and all of the jewelry that they make, these delicate pieces made with recycled gold or fair mined from scale mining communities are really special. They also have this foundation called the Catbird Foundation, which is tied to the ethos of their brand, which is a commitment to making and doing good things. So they donate a percentage of their sales to nonprofit organizations that align with their belief in equality and helping others. They're really committed to serving communities in need all over the world. So whether you go to their store or their gorgeous website, catbirdnyc.com, you're entering a world of beautiful things made by really good people. Whether you're getting a simple birthday present or you're proposing, catbirdnyc.com, informal luxury. Hi, this is Patty Lapone. This is Allison Janney. This is Matt Balmer. This is Donna Murphy. This is Nia Vardalis. This is Jesse Tyler Ferguson. This is Beanie Feldstein. I'm Octavia Spencer. This is Ben Platt, and you're listening to Little Known Facts with my favorite person on the planet, Alana Levine. A-OK. Welcome to Little Known Facts, a podcast where you will hear unfiltered, raw, honest, and uniquely funny interviews with artists you love as they talk about the art they love to make. I'm your host, Ilana Levine. Hey, I heard you needed inspiration. He's Ilana and friends with some revelations. Little known back to the day. Every little thing's gonna be a-okay. Hey everyone, new episodes of Little Known Facts drop every Monday and you can find them on your favorite podcast provider. Also, if you go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com, you'll find behind the scenes photos, videos, and interviews, and lots more on the gallery page. And if you are loving these intimate, candid conversations with all the artists who come on the show, please head over to the contributions page. I depend on these donations to continue to bring you these interviews every week. So if you love the show, please donate. Little known fact about my guest today, she may be the most reluctant star you will ever meet, but she is also the most gifted. Welcome, Allison Janney. A-OK. A-OK. Hey, everyone. My guest today is Allison Janney. Her Broadway credits include Six Degrees of Separation, Nine to Five, A View from the Bridge, and Present Laughter. Of her many films, some standouts include American Beauty, Drop Dead Gorgeous, Primary Colors, The Hours, Juno, Hairspray, Finding Nemo, Big Night, The Help, Margaret, The Girl on the Train, Spy, and many more. She is known worldwide from her performance as C.J. Craig on The West Wing, for which she was awarded four Emmys, and more recently as Margaret Scully on Masters of Sex, for which she also won an Emmy, and Bonnie Plunkett on the CBS sitcom Moms, for which she has won two Emmys so far. 
She has won SAG Awards, Golden Globes, and every award you can get for being a genius actress. And Except she had, one. Oh, which one is that? The Oscar. But haven't you heard they're not doing those anymore? Oh, really? No, they're so, so those are so last God. year. Did I just screw up your whole intro and you have to do it over again? Are you kidding? Okay, good. She's won SAG Awards, Golden Globes, and every award you can get for being a genius actress and has a star on the Hollywood Walk of Fame. She is a passionate advocate for many organizations but has played a huge role in raising awareness for Planned Parenthood, our nation's veterans, and animal rights. Welcome. Oh, my God. What is your name? Allison Janney. Slate your name? Allison Janney. Can you turn right? I need a profile. Oh, the other right. <laughs> Welcome, Allison Janney, to the podcast. Ah, Alana Levine, at long last, I'm sitting across from you. I have listened to every single podcast up until I started rehearsals for Six Degrees, and you're very good at this. Well, you are a very good friend for listening to every episode, but I'm a little concerned that something happened, that contractually you didn't get it in fine print that you get time to listen to little-known facts during rehearsal. <laughs> yeah. No, all I could do is I did, I have this this app called Rehearsal App, and I put all all the other person people's lines and then leave a blank space for mine. So that's what I'd have in my car. Instead of your wonderful podcast, I would listen to myself, do everyone else's lines, and then leave a space for me to do my line. So Because I had to memorize these lines. John Hickey and I, John Benjamin Hickey, who stars in Six Degrees of Separation with me, we started learning our lines in October. Of we 2003. Started, uh, Three. <laughs> in hopes that in 2017 you would do the play. Exactly. We were terrified with our brains getting just a little older that we wouldn't be able to memorize those lines and hold them, you know, and, and so we started early and so I couldn't Unless listen to Unless my podcast listens have gone down a little bit, but you'll be back. <laughs> What's really fascinating about you saying that is when I think of you, one of the things I prided myself on about you yeah. was that you were like a sponge when it came to learning lines. Because I don't know that listeners know this, but Allison holds the title of the guest I've known the longest on this podcast, Are you which serious? is a really I just amazing. Got chills. Yes. I love yes. It. And one of the times that I stayed with you in LA was when you were on the West Wing. And I remember you would come home with like 7,000 pages of lines and we'd have a meal. And then I'd go, I don't know, watch an episode of Ed. Then I would okay. come out and I'd be like, do you want me to run lines with you? And you'd be like, okay. And you knew all of them is really the point of that very long story. So you once had a muscle for memory, for line memorization. I feel like I've used up my memorizing chip. The like quota it's, is like done. The quota is done. And it's like, Matt's like, no, we're not doing anymore. It's we're, smoking. We're on, yeah, it's, it's smoking. It's like it got wet. And short circuiting. And I was so terrified. and so much stage fright about going up on lines yes, on Broadway. Because like, it's a terrible God. thing to do. Oh, it's, my God. It's not a great thing. No, it's not. Do you remember, speaking of Ed, that one of the things that we used to do... When we used to play acting coaches, we would watch TV shows, Ed or whatever, Smash, whatever show we were watching, and we would pretend we were the coaches (laughs) of of whatever actor we chose to be the coach of, the principal cast, and we would would freeze frame and go, yes, in that moment, I I thought I told her Do you see what I have Julie Bowen do in there? Like our jaws would hurt so much because we thought this was the most hysterical thing on the planet. It truly was. And I wish we'd had pointers, little those electronic pointers to just look and say in that moment, you see there, see, I, I instructed her to to lift her coffee cup up to her lips and not take a sip. 
and instead look out the window. Do you see what that, you know? Notice Tom Cavanaugh. <laughs> Notice how he's looking. <laughs> literally one of my favorite games. I've never done, been able to do recreate it with anybody else. And I can't wait till we are reunited in our dotage. Anyway, that's a little known fact. You were born in Boston. I was. I was born in Boston. My father was going to Harvard Business School. And mm. I was there. Just dropped that Just in dropped there, didn't you? in there. <laughs> <laughs> and I was born there on November 19th in 1909. Mm-hmm. I'm sorry, what? Um, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and then soon after, after my dad graduated from there, they moved us to Cincinnati, Ohio, and then from Cincinnati to Dayton, Ohio, where I spent my formative years. And your father ended up doing what professionally? Well, he went into his family business, which was commercial real estate. My father <laughs> is such an artist, though. He's a he's a he plays jazz piano and guitar, and um, he's an artist. And he, you know, back then you didn't go after that sort of career. That's right. And he went into business. He went to business school. He knew he had to make a, you know, living. He got married when they. My mom and dad were like. 20 and 21 when they got married and and um, he went into to business but that's not where his passion and his heart is it's definitely in the arts and sailing and my father I swear I think he learned to play the piano so he wouldn't have to talk to anybody <laughs> to, interesting like, it's such a great way to be part of the party and but not have to you know talk to anyone you can yeah. be by yourself and play your music and entertain people but my dad does not love to sit and chit chat you know he's not a chit chatter He's I remember your mom is is um, more social. Yes, she's very social. Macy. Macy Janney is, and she used to be an actress. She um she went to Bennington College in Vermont, like a two year college, majored in dance. You know, and this is like and, a Wendy and, Wasserstein play unfolding right in front of my eyes. Yes. <laughs> and she um. Wait, what's your dad's name? Jervis. Right. Jerv so Janney. Macy and Jervis. Macy and Jerv. Unbelievable. Um, yeah, they met while uh, it was kind of a cute story actually because my mother came to New York to go to the American. Academy of Dramatic Arts, and while she was here, she was set up on a blind date. My father was writing copy for um, an um, advertising agency called Compton, I think it was. They went on a blind date, and my mother wouldn't answer the door because she had a big zit on her chin, and she decided she didn't want to go out because who wants to go out with a big zit on your chin? And my father sat on the stairwell outside of her apartment and drew a cartoon of her sitting in her apartment drinking a bottle of wine and study. she said she had to study or something and he drew this cartoon of her drinking a bottle of wine and the wine gets emptier and emptier and then she just gets drunk and can't study anymore and he says why not just come to dinner with me so she went out to dinner with him and and then I don't know if they made this up but if he forgot his wallet so my mother had to pay for the dinner and and then it was um, you know from there they it was love it was love and I guess I hope it was love. Um, and it was marriage. It was marriage <laughs> and three babies. Boom, boom, boom. Right. Where are in a row. you in the birth order? In the middle. We're all eighteen months apart. My older brother Jay, my younger brother Hal is no longer with us. He passed in two thousand eleven. But Jay is up in. Well, I, he would be mad if I told anyone where he was, so well, I'm not going to say. <laughs> but isn't it four twenty three North Road, Sayville? <laughs> my brother could not be more opposite. Of, of who I am. We could not have more completely different lives. And and I sometimes envy his, and I have no doubt he never envies mine. Right. He likes to be 
private and quiet, does not like a lot of noise, doesn't like. He came out for my star ceremony in L.A., which I was so grateful that he that he did. A lot of ever all, all of my family came out, but um, he was overwhelmed at my. He was like, I don't know how you do it. It's just it's crazy. So there's Jay, there's you, there's Hal, there's yeah. Dayton, Ohio, yeah. and your parents were artistic and lovers of the arts and supportive of your passion for the arts? Well, they definitely didn't dissuade me from going into a career in, uh, in the arts, but they um, they didn't, they kind of let us pick our own paths, didn't try to steer us one way or the other. They strongly suggested I might think about getting a job mm-hmm. when I was in New York, and they were generous with us in terms of making sure we had a place to live. I feel very fortunate that they made sure my rent was paid. You know, right. they gave me that, which was right. such a, an unbelievable gift as a struggling artist. If you, I mean, God only knows what I would have done if I didn't have that. And I had to, had to, had to have a job to pay for my rent. I feel very fortunate and cheapish about my <laughs> my early leg up, um, at least financially. It was incredible to have that support um, from them. And then I feel so incredibly grateful that I'm able to pay them back at this point and take care of them the way they took care of me. So it's 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 kind of lovely. But they've come to see me in every single play I've done. Every single thing I've done, they've been there. You were passionate about skating mm-hmm. as a young girl. Did you skate all the time? Well, I was because my father was in commercial real estate, he mm-hmm. owned a building that housed an ice skating rink. So I had access to all the ice time I wanted. So I thought, why not? I'm going to be a, a figure skater. And okay. I, thankfully, my mother, who was a dancer, um, enrolled me in classes at the Dayton Ballet Company. And I, so I took modern dance and ballet. And, and I think that was so great. She did that for me, being six feet tall. So I stand up straight. You were six and, feet tall when you were born, I know. Right? I've you always came been out, out of yeah. the room six you feet tall. You were such a tall baby. God, it was hard to be this tall, but I know. Um, but I'm grateful that I took the ballet classes because it made me feel I was. I'm very. I consider myself very graceful, and I um, think we all do. No, oh, thank you. You're so welcome. Um, and so the ice, being on ice, I just I fell in love with being on the ice, and I had a coach, and I had dreams of going to the Olympics, and ultimately I had that accident where I went through a play class window at a big party for parents and kids, and, and you were 17. And when I was that 17, happened? and. And I don't know if I want to tell that whole story. Do I want to tell that whole story? Well, it's really sad. <laughs> this is like this is like an inspiring podcast yeah, where we try to up. make people. It was an accident. <laughs> I went through a play class window, and it cut short my uh, skating uh, career. And I think someone may have been looking after me because I don't. You know, skating is an acrobatic sport, and I could not get this six foot tall frame three revolutions in, in the air, around three revolutions in the air. I right. could do two. I could do two double jumps, a double uh, a double flip and a double sow cow. You probably could have done, like, beautiful ice dancing. See? Torval and Dean. Yeah. I could have been I You could, could have, have been, been a that. Vegas act. Yeah, well, that too. Um, I'd have to be a little... Well, I'm not going to go that. I keep spinning into dark places. Remember, this is like... This the is idea like of the up, show is, like, for people uplifting. to be like, God, my day's really hard. I'm going to listen to Little Known <laughs> Facts to feel better. Right? Like, think of us as the USO. <laughs> We're here okay. to make the troops make feel the better. Make the troops feel better. Okay, so I'm good. This is going to be hard for me because my little mind goes down dark places really quickly. Do you quickly. know what? I think people would be really happy to know that because really? all of ours do. So I, How about that I started a meditation course today? I'm learning to meditate. Do you want to share with us what like the first couple of steps are? Not talking. So maybe we could just do that for 20 minutes here. Yeah. Just, all, just be quiet and meditate. We're going to do some mindful podcasting. Ha <laughs> ha
Number one with a bullet. <laughs> you started meditation this morning. Yes, because I need to find a um, some space in my head with all, everything that's going on. And and before I go on stage, sometimes I, I, I just need to... Um, I'm having trouble sleeping because I've got so many things in my head and so many commitments that I have to do in the day before the play. And I, I'm having trouble sleeping, so I'm trying to find a way to quiet my mind. And I finally have decided I can no longer talk about doing meditation. I'm going to take a class in it. So I'm, I was given my mantra today, which I'm not allowed to tell you. Um, I have to keep it for myself. In some ways, when I think about it, acting is the most meditative experience that I have in my life. Because when you're on a Broadway stage, if you're not in that moment, you are going to miss the next one. Right. If you're like in that moment, you go, oh, they laughed at that line. What did I do different? And then there's like, oh, oh I yeah. missed my, you have to be Present. Right. It's not a very relaxing <laughs> presentness, right. but it is, you have to be present. Right. It's high energy. Moment. High energy in the moment. Energy. Well, so you need to find that off stage. Yes. Exactly. Which is not easy to do when no. it's not scripted and, the, and, and, it, and it isn't all kind of laid out for you so in some way. I've started that journey and hopefully I will. All right. Well, I hope you will check back in with us because this is your first day. You seem really relaxed to me. I do? Yeah. Well, that's because I'm with you and I know you and I love you yes. and I feel very comfortable here. Well, you should probably just stay in here. Maybe that's the answer. <laughs> We're locked in here, aren't we? You're never letting me out of here. It's like the last episode of Seinfeld. <laughs> I have a question for you. When you had that traumatic, traumatic thing happen where you walked through a plate glass Sliding door, mm -hmm. cut tendons, you're bleeding, you're hospitalized. Mm -hmm. Obviously, it changes the course of your life in so many ways. Were you off to college before that happened? Yeah, it was right after. I just graduated from high school. Right. And I was going to go to Kenyon College, and I had to miss my first year at Kenyon because I was in the hospital for three months. So you missed a whole year of school? Mm -hmm. We decided not to go in in the middle. Could have started in January, but I said, let's just... Let me just take a year off. So but, you get to Kenyon, mm -hmm. and are you a theater major? I don't know what I'm going to be. I mean, I know that I've enjoyed doing theater, and I love it. Um, you did it in high school? I did you it did in high it school. In... I did it in high school. <laughs> What's mm -hmm. after in between high school and college? What I, nothing. nothing. Um, There's summer I camp. Did it. <laughs> and so when I went to college, I thought maybe I might be a psychology major or philosophy. Those kind of appealed to me. But then I just fell into doing plays, and I loved the community there in the, in the theater, and I fell in love with those people, and I loved the man, Tom Turgeon and Harlene Marley, these two teachers I had there who loved. You know, when you meet people who are passionate about what they do and teach, it's it's kind of infectious, and they made me want to be in that department. So that's why I went there. And then my freshman year, of course, they'd built this beautiful new theater, the Bolton Theater at Kenyon College, and, and it was a thrust stage. And, and to christen it, they invited um, uh, Paul Newman, who was a graduate of Kenyon College, to direct the first play in the new theater. And that was a play that Michael Christopher wrote, who won the Pulitzer Prize for his play Shadowbox back in 1980-something, and I got myself cast in that production. Didn't have to audition, really. I just had to... Well, my audition was standing up on the stage and telling Paul Newman a story about myself. He said, hey, mm. hey, I'm Paul. Well, I mean, you know, we all were, were prepped beforehand, yes. knowing you're going to go in and stand on the, this other stage, the Hill Theater, the other little theater there, and you're going to say your name and tell 
tell a story about yourself. Did you prepare it or did something oh, just no, come to mind? It. Okay. I prepared it. I'm not good. I'm not good thinking on my feet. I'm not a terrible improver. Um, but um, so I thought of a story that would appeal to Paul Newman. I knew he was a race car driver, and I thought. Well, I just got a brand new Scirocco for my birth. My grandmother gave me a car for graduating from high school and a Scirocco. God, oh my God. I thought I was the coolest thing. It was a navy blue Scirocco. And so I talked about my new car and how fast I could get from Dayton, Ohio to, you know, Gambier, Ohio. And I said, you know, usually most people it takes two and a half hours, but I can get there in an hour and 45 minutes because I take exit, da, 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 and I punch it on this, you know, and I just told this whole story about how I would get to college faster than anyone else. I always think that that's why he cast me, but it was probably had more to do with my look than anything yeah. else because the play took place in the 40s and we were cheerleaders of a foot race thing. It was a strange, wonderful play, but um, um, so that's probably probably why I got cast more than... I want to know, what were you like as a kid? I just went to a, a, a reunion, not a reunion, they gave me a... Um, an alumni award at Hotchkiss School, where I went in Lakeville, Connecticut. Um, a boarding, you went to boarding, a boarding school? school where my fa- my grandfather went, my father went, my brothers went. So okay. they sent me there too. And at what age? At you know eleventh grade. How old are you in eleventh grade? Fifty two. Fifty two. I don't know, like sixteen. I guess yeah. Oh my god, it was ter- it was terrifying. Wait, I didn't... you in the middle of high school for your last two years of high school, you go to boarding I school. I go to boarding school. Yeah. Is that normal to start that later? I don't think so, but uh, Hotchkiss had just gone turned co-ed. And, okay, um, so you could go. My brother was there, so I could go, and they just – I think that's just what my, my father did, what his father did, and I think they just thought that's what their kids should do, to send them to boarding school. And uh, I Were don't, you shy? I was, or? Ter- I was so – I was so – I just cried the first two days when my mom left me at boarding school. I just felt – um, abandoned, alone. I was so sad. I just quite. My mother, of course, left notes everywhere in my dorm room to cheer me up. You know, but of course, every time I found one, I would just burst Terrible. into tears. And then once I got over that, it ended up being. You know, I had fun. I had a great time there, and I did plays there. And I, I it was my first adult experience, really. And it was. Uh, I felt that. Um, I was not ready for it, but I've always felt that way in life because I. Going back to my birth, I was induced. Because I was born November nineteenth, and and it was it was right around um, Thanksgiving, and I think my mother's doctor didn't want to have his Thanksgiving holiday ruined, so he. You're like, I'm not so quite as a cooked. result, is it crazy that I think that I'm always like putting my heels in the ground when someone says you're going to do this? I'm like, no, 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 no. You're not inducing I'm not ready. me. I'm not ready. I'm not going there. Don't put me. I don't want to go to boarding school. I'm not going to New York. I'm not, like I seriously have been dragged everywhere in my life, to even coming to New York. You know, Joanne Woodward, Paul Newman's wife, lovely Joanne Woodward, she said, you're coming to the Neighborhood Playhouse to study acting. I'm like, I'm not sure. A friend back in those days in New York said, Allison, you're going to be successful in spite of yourself. I wasn't really ambitious. I didn't really think that. I remember getting a call from Meg Simon. She's called me because she had seen my my scene, my final scene at the Playhouse. You know, you do scenes and people come to see you and hopefully you get cast or get an agent. And she called me in for something and I never called her back. She's very upset about that. I know. But just the fact that she called, I was like, great. I always wanted to be on the verge of like, I've got that call. I'm going to make it. I've got that, you know, but I All right. So let's distill this down. Yeah. I guess you must have loved acting. I did. I don't mean to put words on your mind. No, no, I didn't. I love skating. Going back to the skating thing, my mother said, you were the most determined little girl, just absolutely determined 
to not fail at things, to be very competitive. It's awful. I'm the one in the family who throws the Monopoly board, you know, throw the ping pong paddle, you know, just disproportionately angry. It's really, it's not something I'm proud of because it's... But your anger drives you. I think it does a little bit. There's a little... And, you know, back to your thing about memorizing lines in front of during West Wing, I didn't want to stand up there and be publicly humiliated, you know, in front of when right. rolling cameras and I miss up my lines. It's like, no, I will not. I was that determination not to lose in that in that game. Of now, on work. that show, was there someone that you had in your own mind in ongoing competition with? No, it was only in my, it was a competition with myself, really, and a competition to not have, because on West Wing, they had, not only did I have a script supervisor who's in charge of continuity and things like that. They had someone who was in charge of just looking at the script and making sure every and if or but was said. You could not change one So those are not apocryphal stories. That's really true about Aaron. that is true. Mm -hmm. And my goal was to never let her get up out of her seat. Because as an actor, I don't like being, you know, you know, you miss this word, right. and it makes me so angry. It gets me in my head, and then I can't do my work. So I knew that I, the only way I was going to succeed in this, in this role of CJ, and get, was to really know my lines backwards and forwards, so no one could mess with me and come up and say, "Oh, you missed that, you missed that." And I would, that was my game. I played with myself in my own head. I would unravel quickly if someone started picking out my performance. Sure. And I was going to say also about memorizing lines that Mary Catherine Garrison, do you know her? Mm-hmm. Yeah. When I worked with her on this movie called How to Deal, she actually showed me how she memorized Shakespeare, which was to write the first letter of each word down on a piece of paper. And your, your, if, your, your, if your line is, hi there, it would be um, H-T. So you would do that with every single one of your lines. So you have what you're looking at is like looks like hieroglyphics, but for some reason that would help cement the lines in my head, and I would not have any extraneous line. I would know, oh, that was an H T, and the letters would somehow it was a. She gave that to me, and I've been people have attributed that to my, my own special technique. But do you know that movie, A Beautiful Mind? Yeah, I'm picturing like yeah, uh, yeah. Russell Crowe's brain. Like inside, you would just have all these little letters floating in your head. Yeah, but sometimes the letters would spell out things, which yeah. would even help you be make know for certain what your line was. And it's such a great technique, and I've tried to teach it to other people, and I hope it's helped them because it really helps me. You should do a course like in mm. Allison Janney. You know how like on right. Facebook yeah. there's like Masterclass with David Mamet, which I yeah. – are those real – I don't know if that's a I real know, thing I've or not. I know. I've seen those all. Like, I've taken up, like, I'm taking of, them. Well, I like, wonder about that. Like maybe I could do that. You know, um, Juliana Margulies is doing one and she told me what she's doing, her course. And I want to take – her. every student should take her course because she's teaching a class on how to protect yourself as an actor on a set. You have so many people. Physically? No, just mentally. When you have work to do and people are coming up and poking at you and trying to have conversations like, you know, you're preparing for a scene and maybe it's a sad scene and you're maybe right, you've got your falsetto soundtrack your, you know, going. Whatever yeah. you do to get and someone comes up and goes, hey, are you OK? What's going on? It always amazes me how little a lot of people on film sets or in TV that don't know what actors go through to do their work. And so she's teaching a class. You seem upset. I Are you okay? No, I would no, so, no. Oh, oh, oh yeah, 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 yeah. Allison okay? seems really get, upset. Yeah. <laughs> like, I am working. Yes. Did you read the scene I'm about to do? My He's mother dead. just died. I have to talk about that. It's like, are you kidding me? You know, hey, will you cheer up. What's going on? You know, it's like, I would do some scenes. Off. I'm not going to say Did what you show. want the egg sandwich? <laughs> do you want it in a tortilla? I <laughs> 
I was like, one time I was doing a, a scene and off right off camera was somebody who was taking a nap. I was just like, oh my gosh. That's hurting and my I feelings. Had to say, I said, excuse me, can we cover a minute? And I didn't want to say it in front of everyone, but I walked over to this person. I said, excuse me, can you take your nap? Maybe not. Right in my eyeline. In my eyeline. Or just things like that. I right. don't know. But I can just imagine you who's so sweet and doesn't want to hurt, like yeah. stuttering like a crazy person. I'm so sorry to bother yeah. you. I'm not sure you're aware it's a Holocaust story. <laughs> and if you could just take your nap. just I'm sorry. Or get off your Game Boy. <laughs> please so play sorry. somewhere else. Like, oh, it's very... No, that's a great score. I'm just oh so sorry. God. I know. It's complicated. It is. And some people, there are some people, actors who don't need, like... Meryl Streep, when I did the hours with her, she had to do this scene where she had just look at this dish that her lover had, had used to make all the time, and he's dead now, and I'm supposed to be holding it, and she looks at it and bursts into tears, and I'm off camera. And I'm like, you know, I think I should have something to hold so she can look at, and I'm like trying to find something. I said, she doesn't seem like someone who would be as, like, I, I need more than she does. Like mm-hmm. she, she, I said, do you want me to hold? She said, right. no, I don't need anything. Just forget it. You know, and she would, she, I think she could act to anything, like an ex. Ooh, on a, so can you talk about that? What did she do? She's just someone who knows what she's doing. She's very confident about her herself. And I mean, I'm sure Meryl's got to have some, you know, moments where she doesn't like what she's doing and, and doubts herself because she's, she's human. But, but to me, just watching her, she just knows what buttons to push in her, what she, she had done the work before. And, and, and she didn't need the roast she didn't on the need plate. The roast on the plate to look at. And I was like, I didn't have to be at the roast, but do you want something in my hand so you're not just looking at me pretending to hold something? And she didn't need that. And I was like, oh God, I wish I could, I could be like that. But I need something to look at. I need. I find it so weird the um, acting. Like I, I wish I had more control over my own technique because I don't, especially emotionally. It just. What comes out, comes out. I'm on a Broadway stage. Every night's different. There are moments, there's a scene where I, some nights I cry, some nights I'm not crying, but I'm angry. I, I hate feeling, but I do this to myself. If I don't reach a certain emotional pitch, I feel like I've lost a patient on an operating table. Right. That I've, I've you done failed a disservice to night. the play. And I, I hate that feeling. And to be able to just trust yourself and let, uh, let whatever happens happen and you know someone's phone ringing in the you know second row or someone asleep in the second row you know whatever same guy from from your eyeline from the eyeline exactly he's following me all all over he's just a stalker my sleep my napping stalker but it's different when you're on stage obviously there is a little more I don't know poetic license emotionally Mm -hmm. because I remember when we were both in Broadway plays at the same time and I had to cry in Ballyhoo and I would talk to you about it all the time and you were like I know like I'm I have to change up my prep because it's not working anymore like we would talk a lot about like how to get ourselves worked up into this emotional state and what did you learn I mean for me music has always been a very powerful tool to get myself into an emotional state Mm -hmm. and. What I also learned is that whether there are real tears or not, the audience doesn't care. Really? And that afterwards, when I would see them at the stage door mm-hmm. on nights that I cried and nights that there weren't actual, like, you know, yeah. saline water right, things right. coming out of my head, but that I felt emotionally connected to the material, whether there were tears or not, yeah. they loved it. And that was pressure I was putting on myself. And yeah. sometimes directors, you know, will yeah. say that's sort of the kiss of death, right? They're like, I really would like it if there are tears. You're like, sometimes <laughs> I'm lucky when John and I have a fight at the end and sometimes he spits all over my face. So I that's think so that, lucky. that it looks like tears. Right. So. If you work with a spitter, <laughs> really, that's the best thing. 
If you could spit on yourself. <laughs> no, but I would definitely, like, I had an actress friend who's like, oh, no, I just have been gay. And I have to go upstage and uh, yeah. the fumes of, like, yeah. that. Do you know that what I mean? Once. It's those those little crystals that the makeup artist will right. blow into your eyes. Yeah. And I try, I decided to try it for this one scene. It was kind of a comic scene, but I was supposed to be hysterically crying because my daughter was going off to college. So she blew this and a crystal went into my eye. And not only did I, no, I had contacts in, too. So I was blinded. I was just, right. it was... I, I, you were crying and like and blind looking. and hysterical. I mean, I think it turned out pretty funny, but I, right. it was the most painful right. thing. But I want to go back. There were a few very special. You know, you talk about Paul Newman and Joanne Woodward, and then in your early career, you're working with Mike Nichols. I so know. there were these kind of beautiful angels who found you and hired yeah, and you. To, and because of Naked Angels, that right? Angel found me, and Mike Nichols, because I was. Doing one of my favorite, at least in my mind, you know, in your memory, things can be much greater than they were, much better than they were. But it was such a, a wonderful time because I, it was this play called Fat Men in Skirts that Nikki Silver wrote and Joe Mantello directed. It was sure. the start of my um, friendship with Joe. Um, and I was cast in it alongside of um, Stanley Tucci and Marissa Tomei, who had just won her Oscar, and Matt McGrath. And I remember this one night I came out and I start the play with a, mo- a monologue to the audience. And my son and I have been in a terrible plane crash when I'm on the beach and I pick up my high heel and I'm pouring sand out of my high heel. And my first line is, I loathe the beach. And, and I had this big monologue. And I came off stage and Stanley Tucci was there. And I was like, Stanley, what the fuck is going on out there? Nobody, I swear to God, Nobody is listening to me. They're no, they're not. I don't know who, what's out there, what's going on. But that was like the worst I've ever before. And he said, I'll tell you later. I'm not going to tell you now. Don't tell you. We finished the play. And then out in the audience were Mike Nichols, Al Pacino, Ellen Barkin, Jackie O, John Kennedy. Jesus Christ. Jesus Christ. Mother Teresa. There were some more. I can't remember, but it was like literally they were all looking at Jackie Onastas. And I remember she left at intermission. And the last image is is Matt McGrath sodomizing me, his Mm -hmm. mother. Mm -hmm. And then I kid you not, she died two days later. And I always thought, oh, my gosh, that was the last play she saw was and she left in the middle of it. But. Who did stay towards the to the end was Mike Nichols, and he wrote me the loveliest letter. He then cast me in a very small part in Wolf, gave me my, one of my first little movie roles, and then he gave me this part in Primary Colors. That role in Primary Colors and me doing that pratfall, which was great because I had who you know I show up and right as we're five minutes before we're filming he says can you fall down this flight of stairs and I was like well I think I can actually because I did a production of Noises Off in New Jersey and Bill Bowers was the actor and the stunt choreographer was teaching him how to fall down a flight of stairs and I remember sitting in the audience watching like oh I can't wait to see how he how he teaches him how to fall down a flight of stairs and I loved it and I was like talk about you know and that moment it came up and he, he said gee Allison do you know how to fall down a flight of stairs and I was like why as a matter do of fact I? I do I thought you'd never ask and I fell down that flight of stairs. And it was Mike's favorite thing. He loved it so much. He made me say, can you do another one? I said, sure. Another one, another one. And it made him so happy. But I tell you, it was because of that that I know Aaron Sorkin. Tell me about the West Wing audition. Well, I believe that 
the reason why I was called in for that was because of primary colors and my performance in that. Because the pilot episode of West Wing, I fall off a treadmill. But my audition for that, I was out in L.A. I was doing American Beauty and Nurse Betty. I was doing those two movies at the same time. You know, small part, so it was easy to the scheduling. But in the middle of that, my agents call and say, they we got you an audition for this pilot called The West Wing. And and they told me who was involved. And I was like, gosh, that sounds kind of cool. And, and I remember just being completely walking out of that audition going, well, I am not getting that part. I felt like I stunk. They didn't ask me anything. They didn't give me any adjustments. They didn't, you know, so how are you doing? Or, you know, even talk to me to get to know me. I just did it. And they were like, okay, thanks. And I left. And I was like, okay, well, that didn't work. Then I got a call back. I was like, well, that's weird. Maybe they'll probably give me more stuff this time. And I did it again. Same thing happened. I was like, this is so weird. I, I feel so stinky when I leave. I, I don't know. I, I don't. I don't know if they. I wish they'd tell me what they want if I'm not doing it right. Or, and then I got to go do a test. I had to test for the network, and I kept thinking, well, this is just experience because I saw a lot of other actresses who were auditioning for for the part of CJ, who I knew, and I thought, well, they will probably get it. But this is great experience for me because I've never tested for a network before. I hadn't done much TV, so. I just thought this is just experience, good to have under my belt. And then I don't remember that except for I think I stopped in the middle and started over. And because I always someone said, just make sure you use the time. It's your time. If you want to stop yourself and start over, you do it. Take take control. It's your time. It's not theirs. And then the next day, I got a beautiful flower arrangement that came to my hotel room. And then a phone call soon after that was Aaron Sorkin saying, well, I'm so excited to offer you this role. And and you know, and then the rest is. Did you ever talk about their I want, perception? You know, why didn't I think about? I never asked them that. Sh- Can we ask, call this guy yes. call friend? Yeah, three one zero. I'm going to ask Tommy because I don't see Aaron anymore. I don't. I never see him. I wish I did, but I don't ever see him. I, I Tommy, I see more often, and and um, I'm going to call him and ask him because I forgot. I don't know what. Did they you thought. know pretty quickly that that was lightning in a bottle, as they say? No, I didn't. I didn't think, I think most of us, everyone who was uh, cast in that was all great theater actors mostly. I mean, John Spencer had done a lot of television, lovely John Spencer, and he had done L.A. Law and um, many other shows. And um, he was a veteran of television. And But Richard Schiff and Brad Whitford and Janelle and myself, we none of us had really done television before. And we thought it was great, but we thought no one's going to want to watch a show about politics. Um, it was great working with you, great to get to meet you guys, and you know. And then we found we got picked up, and it never felt like an unqualified hit to us. And we didn't. I never looked at ratings or what was going on, and and so it always felt very cross our fingers. Hope we get picked up next year. Hope we get picked up next year. It never. We never sort of sat back and we're like, hey, we're on a big fat hit. Yeah. It doesn't seem, feel like that until after the fact. Now I feel like I was part of a a big. Thing. Thing. Back Something then, really it special. was scary, but I knew it was special when I was doing it. I had so many moments of, in the middle of a setup, just going, oh, "I'm so lucky. This is so great. Look around. Remember this moment. Remember this moment. This is so cool." Had a lot of those great moments. I also had a lot of moments of, I'm missing another family funeral, a wedding. I've missed weddings, funerals, so much stuff because of the time commitment was extraordinary. 18-hour days, most of the time, like really exhausting hours, and you know, boohoo, poor me, but. It was. They call those jobs the golden handcuffs because they're fantastic, but at a price. At a price. How many know. years was West Wing on the air? Seven seasons. So now you are doing such a different kind of show with Mom. This is your first long 
short-term commitment to a sitcom. It's incredible. After having done all those hours on on West Wing and then I did a short-lived show called Mr. Sunshine with Matthew Perry, that was a single-camera comedy and those hours were this, similar to West Wing. So would you say was, a sitcom is like golden showers versus oh golden handcuffs? <laughs> like if you had – like – is that the difference? Is it? Yes. Yes, it is. Oh, my God. It's heaven. It's it, The work is really fun. It's um, two weeks on, one week off, at least our schedule. It's the most civilized schedule an actor could ever have. So, Mom, part of the joy of that show is that it allows people to laugh at what can be truly the most devastating thing that people go through, right? Which yes. is to be in recovery or f- to not have made it through recovery. Are people talking to you about it? Do you get a lot of input from from fans? Do you feel a responsibility beyond the show? The fact that the show is about people in recovery was very meaningful to me when I read the script. And, and also just to go to an aud- audition, because I don't have any funny audition stories. Let right. me tell you right now. There's not a one that's funny. They're no. all ended in tears. Mm-hmm. Would they be funny to me? <laughs> I kept thinking, no, but this is an audition story. Okay. It's not a funny one, okay. but it's a, it's fun. When you get to a certain point in your career, certain actors, sometimes you don't have to audition for things. And you think, that's that's I can't wait till I get to that point in my right. career. I don't, I don't have to audition. I just offer only, offer right. only. Yeah. And this came up and my agent said, well, they want you to audition, but we're going to tell them no. And I said, no, hold on. I kind of want to audition for it because – not only because I, I wanted to be considered, but I, I didn't want to force them into offering me something. I thought, I want to see if I want to, if I have chemistry with Anna, I want to go in there and meet her. And I, I, under, I understand their need to see, see together. us together. I'm not, a, I'm not opposed. So, you know, my agents were trying to protect me in my whatever I had, you know, earned in my career mm-hmm. that I didn't have to. And I was like, no, 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 I'm going to go in and audition. And I think auditioning for something, while it's great to get offers, it sometimes puts more pressure on you to show up that for that first day of work thinking, oh, my God, I've really got to be good because right. they offered it to me. And if I suck, they're going to be like, why did we go without yeah. this and so I went in and auditioned and uh, had a great audition with, with Anna. And I wanted to do it because I, you know, having my my brother Hal, I lost to um, alcohol and and drugs and and so trying to get someone to want to recover um, when they don't want to is one of the most heartbreaking things on the planet. And getting to to portray these women, you see them, you know, they're in recovery and you see them in the recovery rooms with these great relationships with these other great women characters on the show. And it just makes me feel proud to be doing that and showing it. And nothing means more to me than when I see people. And I was in some store downtown and walked in and this woman saw me and behind the register, she worked at the store and she just started crying. She said, I can't tell you how much the show means to me. I cannot tell you how much, you know, I'm in recovery. I've had 22 years and I just to see you guys laughing and, and enjoying and having seeing people in recovery who have hope and, and laughter and, and you make me laugh at what I'm going through and it's just, it makes me feel so proud. and, and It's an extraordinary thing. It is. Is that the only thing you've auditioned for in like recent history? <laughs> no, I mean when I think about it, what well, else would yeah, you have auditioned for? I know, for? I'm trying to think. Um, I've had, a lot of times they take me, they have meetings. Mm-hmm. Take a meeting with Alice. I'm like, right. I hate those. Yeah. It's like, what are we going to talk about? Like, you know, it's like the ele- the elephant in the room is that they want you to read the, like, so I usually go into this meeting and go, do you want me to read this? And they're like, oh yeah, we, would you? We'd love it. And then my agent's <laughs> the like, script is right you, on the table. Why did you say, but I, you know, 
meetings are weird, but I guess it's good to go and just meet and see because I don't feel like I give good meeting or or like I just don't think anyone I can't really I don't enjoy talking about a part. How do you work on I a character? Do you just, have a way to work or do you what's your process? I always feel like how do I do this again? I just read it and I read it and I read it and I start seeing where it sits in me and I honestly don't know how to talk about what I do. There's a line that I want you to say, and then I'm going to say something, and then you're going to say something back. And it goes a little something like this. Life has dealt me another blow, but I don't mind. What did you say, Mother? I said that life had dealt me another blow, but that I didn't... Oh, shit. Let's do it again. Okay. Life has dealt me another blow, but I don't mind. What did you say, Mother? I said that life had dealt me another blow, but that I didn't mind. (laughs) Oh, my God, I forgot that we did that. That's it. Um, Allison, Jenny. Wait, just one more time. Okay. Life has dealt me another blow, but I don't mind. What did you say, Mother? I said that life had dealt me another blow, but that I didn't mind. <laughs> that was better. We're going to have all of them so they can understand your process. Oh, my God. In your God. master class. Oh, my God. Um, listen, I just have to say and state for the record, I love you so much. My oldest and dearest friend, you walked me down the aisle at my wedding. You will walk me down the aisle at my funeral. (laughs) (laughs) You are uh, just the greatest, greatest joy in my life. You are one of the most special people in my heart always. You fit in that pocket of my my favorite places on this planet. I I love you. you. Thank you for being here. If you want more information about my guests, go to the website, littleknownfactspodcast.com. I also wanted to tell you that there is now a new addition to the website. It is a button that says contributions. This podcast is a true labor of love, and I really, really want to keep doing it for a long time. So if you like listening as much as I love to do it, please feel free to contribute. It would mean the world to me. Also, on Twitter, you can find me at Alana Levine. Instagram is Little Known Facts Podcast, and on Facebook, Little Known Facts Podcast. You can also feel free to rate and review the show on the iTunes show page. This podcast is recorded at Hangar Studios in New York City. This episode was brought to you by Pro Media. Located in Times Square, Pro Media offers both production and post production services out of its beautiful studios in the heart of New York City. Pro Media Sound Vision. Find out more at promedia.nyc. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.